Good evening. Welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block. We have lots and lots of very wonderful hosts today, including Ed Ed, Megan, a special guest star, Ruth, and all the way from overseas, we have Daniel back with us again. I believe he's totally healthy. He's off the injured reserve list. Oh, they probably don't even have that where he's from. And myself, Steve. So, welcome. Hey, you forgot oh, me. Forget about Mike. How could oh I forget God. about Mike? I missed, I missed two weeks and you forget who I am. You don't I, even mention me. I, okay. Oh. I'm going to say I was going to make a whole speech about welcoming Mike back. <laughs> but that would just be a lousy excuse. Sorry about that, Mike. Shouldn't you introduce Daniel as our renowned author? Go for got, it, Ed. Who's got a book pending or book out there that everybody should pick up and, it's, and read? it's out now, and, and surely you've all bought a copy. <laughs> I'm waiting for the audio book, yeah. Daniel. When are you going to do the audio book? I thought I was getting a signed copy in the mail. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I mean, if uh, anyone wants to give me an address, I've got some complimentary ones, so I could send somehow no nah, it'll um, cost you fortune to send him over here yeah. much better to yeah just to email us the audiobook yes what's do the audio what, what tell us what it's about daniel what's the title on uh it's um uh it's called gates of hell why bill gates is the most dangerous man in the world so i think the subject matter is fairly obvious from the title <laughs> Very um, title. It, it covers everything you know the the pandemic the covid he's uh role in that it covers um, uh, his role in net zero policies, fifteen minute cities. Um, so there's a there's a lot in there. It's there's stuff on the um, uh, polio vaccinations in India, um, things like the um, experiments he's funded at Harvard. Um, so there's there's loads and loads of different stuff in there, and, and it's mainly about you know, how malign his influence is and what a network of, of uh, uh, essentially corrupt interests he's built up. So, Daniel, since your book came out, I've seen a whole bunch of articles here and there that really speak to that issue. But meanwhile, while you're hawking your goods, you might as well go ahead and hawk your first book, which was excellent. And you might as well throw in a commercial for Jiplandia. Go. Yeah, well, uh, Jiplandia is my substack, so I'm... Putting out stuff on that every day, virtually. Um, so I've got there's over a hundred articles on there already, and I've, I've not been doing it that long. Um, and um, it's all from a sort of populist perspective. I'm very pro-Trump. I'm very um, pro-Western civilization as it used to be, not not necessarily as it is today. Um, so it's all from that sort of perspective. Um, and um, my first book was uh, on uh, really defining Western civilization and the threats it faces. So that was called uh, a, a Gift for Treason, the Cultural Marxist Assault on Western Civilization. And um, I'm sure there will be, you know, thousands of people listening who are now rushing out to buy both of those. <laughs> That's a great. The first book which I read is definitely one of the best books I've ever read. And the second one I haven't read Likewise. yet. But it's it's on the list. So anyway, Daniel, I'll let you continue since you haven't been here in a few weeks. What's uppermost on your mind in the world? Um, well, there's, I mean, there's a strange state in the UK at the moment. The um, you know, the the Conservative Party are heading to total wipeout and disaster, 
and uh, um, that's that's kind of hoving on the horizon in about a year's time when they're forced to have an election. Um, and the, the Labour Party are in the curious position of um, not having to do anything to achieve power at the moment. You know, as long as they don't shoot themselves in the foot, uh, which they're perfectly capable of doing, they should go ahead and win. Um, so it, it's kind of a bit of an odd scenario. But there was one little story that I thought was interesting um, because it applies elsewhere as, as well. And that's the, the sort of semi-row between um, Rishi Sunak, the British PM, and the Greek PM um, over the Elgin marbles, um, because it, it links in with the whole issue of reparations. And, uh, you know, I don't recall that we've really spoken about that much. Can you explain before. what you're talking about, Daniel? Well, in the British Museum, they've got a collection of um, statues that are really magnificent from um, the Parthenon and the Acropolis uh, in Greece. And these were um, essentially rescued by a British lord at the time of the Ottoman Empire when uh, a lot of these uh, the, the um, sites in Greece, people were doing things like, um, you know, taking, transporting uh, relics away and uh, um, smashing them up and using them to to build new walls or um, you know uh, goat sheds or whatever. Um, so a lot of this stuff was being destroyed and some of it was rescued. Uh, but of course, the controversy around it is that it was rescued uh, at the height of the British Empire, and um, the 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 um, Greek government is essentially uh demanding that these uh relics be returned um now they, they were probably saved from destruction by being taken uh to britain um but it, it kind of links in with the whole push at the moment um you know and the us has had this the uk's had it obviously quite a bit of, of countries and uh saying that things that were acquired by previous generations should be returned to them. Um, and, uh, you know, th th this is a kind of threat to virtually every major museum in the Western world. Um, because if we start... Also a good summary of what's going on in, in Israel and Gaza. Yeah, yeah, uh, in a way. Uh, um, I mean, there's been no terrorist incidents linked to it yet, as far as I know. But... Um, uh, it's part of this same process of kind of blaming westernized nations all the time and demanding that they uh, repair the supposed wounds of the past by giving up stuff that they acquired in the past. And, you know, it, there's no stopping point once you start down that road. So this and is really no decolonization, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, we have ludicrous things like I, I know in the in the U.S., um, you've got English lit departments that, that no longer call themselves English lit departments. And, uh, you know, in the UK, we've got decolonization of the curriculum. Um, and it, it's the exact opposite of what it purports to be, because really it's it's telling people that they can't have their own traditional literature in uh, and study it and value it. Um the thing is, Daniel, what was the issue with the Elgin marbles? I, I realized that uh, a number of years ago, um, the Greek government and the British government got into a, 
discussion and the British government's excuse for not returning them was, well, you don't really have any place to put them. And then the Greek government built this huge, you know, fairly um, impressive museum that I've seen, and they have, uh, you know, replicas in the museum. Yeah. And then, uh, and, and, and it's nice. Um, and, you know, er, you know, everybody hates the Turks, right? Cause they blew up the Parthenon. Um, but, uh, but, um, you know, I, we all thought at the time that, you know, oh, this is just an excuse. The British government's never going to return or swap. You know, the, the idea would be to swap. The originals would go to this museum in Greece, in Athens, yeah. uh, right? Uh, you know, it's it's right. on then, your way down like, from the Acropolis. casts would go, would, and, right. And, yeah, and then yeah. they, and then the, the, would go. So what, what was the actual um, disagreement this week? I hadn't read about that. Well, the, 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 uh, it cropped up again because they were due to have a meeting and, um, you know, it became clear that the, the Greeks were going to uh, raise this topic again. And Rishi Sunak cancelled the meeting at the last minute. So the controversy was, you know, whether this was uh, dismissive and insulting to cancel the meeting at the last minute. Um, and, you know, the, the Greeks were pretty annoyed about that. But, um, I mean, it was a typically cowardly move by the British PM, really, because... Um, as many of our conservatives are, he's fairly woke himself. So he he won't come out with a with an honest defence of the fact that we possess these things. He won't say, well, actually, we saved them from destruction, or actually, they were paid for when they were first obtained, or that uh, you know anyone got permission go from the him. from the Ottoman Sultan who was in control there. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, yeah, think, it, I, it was all done I, legally. I do think the Greek people think that these sort of cultural artifacts of the Greeks and they don't want them, you know, outside of Greece. And I mean, it's the same that Egyptians have, have you know, there's all these Egyptian um, things all yeah. spread out across well, the they West. Were, they and were they're part like, no of more. the Parthenon, too. They were, you know, each one was in its niche yeah. around the outside and they've rebuilt those parts of the Parthenon purposely I mean, to contain... The the, the sculptures again so the, the the point is really that um uh every major museum in the world has um plenty of artifacts that some were acquired dubiously it's true some were uh, acquired completely legitimately by the, the you know the standards of the day and um if you start this process of returning items purely because, uh, you know, that we've now got this woke ideology and this sense of uh, grievance all the time, we're supposed to apologise for having once been extremely powerful, um, then no major collection in the world can be sustained because most mm. of them would be gutted, um, right. you know, could and I, it applies to multiple nations. Could I push back on that a little bit? Because um, sure. that doesn't seem to speak very highly of our own cultures. I mean, British culture and American culture have produced such enormous wealth of artworks that we could very well populate our own museums with our own works if we wanted to. I don't think that England need to say, oh, no, we won't have any artwork left if we return all the ones uh, that we... Well, yeah, but there's no, this I mean, huge section of the British Museum, Plus, as Ed it said, really we're going like, to trade replicas, Museum. you know, like all the replicas Museum, there for those who want to enjoy them. 
and then the originals in, can go back in situ. Well, see, the thing is, you know, you, you make that point. And yes, it's true that we have a lot of history of our own, but these are world centres of uh, collection and learning. And, you know, they're globally significant and they cover the entire globe. And there's, you know, several of them around around the world. But each of these very uh, wonderful sites that are wonderful precisely because they don't just reflect one culture, you know, you would be destroying that effectively. And, you know, you can walk in to the British Museum and you can be in uh, one room, one gallery, and you can be looking at um, statues from the gates of um, the Palace of Nineveh, you know, and the next room you've got the Elgin Marbles, you know, and the next room after that you've got um, Egyptian sarcophagi or a, um, you know, a, a gigantic statue of Ramses II. Mm -hmm. um, and the worth of these institutions is that they have such a broad range oh, it's, it's and that glorious. they have so many of these things that can be seen yeah. at once. No, it's glorious. Place. But if one had to choose between that versus seeing the sculptures in their properly designed place, then, wow, let's put them back where they belong. Plus, if they've got replicas. Like, where they belong. I mean, that's just, a, that, assumes it's, they, that assumes the conclusion you're trying to prove. We'd be, well, if I could finish that thought on the replicas, though, we'd be surprised at how many artworks that we see are actually replicas and the originals are kept in climate controlled and safe spaces. You know, I'm a scholar who works at archives and a lot of the time I'm working from photocopies, even when I fly to the archive to work with these materials, I'm working with photocopies because if everybody got to handle the original, the manuscripts would just fall apart. So a lot of times, even when you go to the museum and you look at such and such and such, you're looking at a replica and the original is kept somewhere safe. I, I do think there is a thin edge of the wedge argument here, right? Because all of those Assyrian things that I saw in the British Museum, you know, would we send them back to Syria uh, under the current conditions of war and ISIS and everybody blowing up things? Well, of course we wouldn't. And, you know, would we, would we send the Chinese exhibits back to China? Probably not. You know, um, the, I think, I think there is a, part i mean they're they're not ready to put uh, well i was there in 2011 but and they're they weren't ready to like put the elgin marbles back on the uh, you know on the parthenon then because they're doing it in in such a you know it's going to take hundreds of years to put the parthenon back together again after the uh, the turks uh destroyed it um but they do have this climate controlled museum with a replica of the Parkathon that they would put them on. So you could kind of see what they would be like in the, uh, you know, in the, uh, now, the thing. So and I don't, I don't know if you have to worry about the slippery slope thing either. Like this is a specific case, you know, work it out, negotiate between the two governments. I don't know if we need to be terrified, like, Oh no, all the, all the works of art are going to be shipped back to their Actually, place of origin. All right. I'm going to put on my Jew hat. So, so you're saying that effectively then that the the British Museum and these items should be singled out, and you know um, American museums that have items that come from other countries, they're going to be okay. Um, everyone else is going to be okay, but the British have to lose this that that they've acquired. Is, no, is no, that no, I'm how just it saying, works? Not at all. I did mention American earlier as well, but I'm just saying talk about this specific case and don't have to be terrified that like oh no it's going to immediately generalize to all works of art everywhere 
So well, I it's think, a I think that That's Daniel, the problem. Why shouldn't Israel demand the Vatican turn over the stuff the Romans pillaged two thousand years ago? Yeah, yeah, it's true. And like the in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, right? The Egyptian government um, from the sixties Anwar Sadat um, gave the United States uh, the Temple of Dender, which there's this whole big you know thing in in the Met. Um, where you can go in and look at this and it's beautiful, but like Sadat was a dictator. He wasn't a representative of the, of the people and suppose the Muslim Brotherhood gets a, again back in power in Egypt and demands its return. And we like, well, we have like, it's signed by the president of Egypt. Well, he's illegitimate because he was a, a dictator. We want it. We want it back. So there is a kind of a thin edge of the wedge um, issue here that I think, you know, on the other hand, I think the British government has been has been um, Humphrey Applebeing on this issue for a long time instead of just saying, "Hey, no." So if yeah, the absolutely. British well, if the British government do, is if their if their response is no, they should just say, "Sorry, no." Absolutely, and you know that's where they're cowardly essentially because they won't come out and say. You know, as far as we're concerned, we acquired it legitimately. It's been there a long time. Uh, anyone can come and see it. If the Greek uh, uh, prime minister wants to come and see it, then he he's very welcome to do so. We'll give him a free uh, ticket. Leave it at that. They can send the, if they want the works of art back. Then they can take their people back too. Yeah, well, and you, <laughs> well, you can also say, you know, um, it is linked in with the whole reparations argument, and that's that's why I think it's. It's a bit bigger than just what happens to museums, even, um, you know, because the it links in with it, this whole idea that um, nations that were previously powerful that acquired things during that period owe something to, to nations that weren't. And um, it's, you know, based on a, a complete idiotic misreading of history quite often. And um, and it and it's. Um, Except for the Belgians. Present generations for past events. The Belgians were really nasty, so we're gonna we're gonna accept the Belgians. Belgian <laughs> Congo, yeah, that, that was disgraceful. <laughs> what happened in Belgian Congo. Yeah. Now, Daniel, I think you know you you asked the question really well a few minutes ago. Should something that was acquired per the norms of the day ever be forced to be given back? And like Ed M said. That's very relevant to Israel and Gaza, because those who say from the river to the sea um, are and saying we've been occupied for 75 years, but they've been occupied for 75 years per the United Nations vote, which happens to be today's the anniversary of in 1947. So if the United Nations gave it legally, whatever the heck gave them the right to, well, that was the British mandate and they got it by war. Either we accept all of these types of things, how borders change, or we don't. And I think it really is kind of complicated. I think one of the things coming out of World War II was the idea that um, we're going to, I mean, this is grossly immoral. So let's just, but I think the thought was we're going to do, we're going to do, we're going to redraw borders one more time at the end of the Second World War. And then we're going to, I, I know it's ridiculous, but that that's kind of what, the mentality was like, okay, we're going to redraw all these borders. We're going to ship all these millions of people back and forth and blah, blah, blah. And then we're going to stop and no more borders are going to be redrawn. I think that was kind of the, um, the thinking to 
the thinking of of the diplomats at the time. And of course, that's you know that has a lot of it, it enshrined in international law these frozen conflicts, whether it's Kurdistan or Israel Palestine or um, you know the India China or any of these other or the Russia Ukraine. These are all issues that you know sort of got got frozen by that idea out of World War II. Mm-hmm. So I want to add, um, sorry, Daniel, I was going to ask you about the Conor McGregor role, but I'm going to bring up something local to me, which is also, I think, relevant to that. So within about five miles of where I live in Queens, New York, there was a pretty vicious riot in a high school the other day. I don't know how many of you guys caught wind of it. Um, apparently mm-hmm. about 400 kids rioted mm-hmm. in the school, broke water fountains, broke some walls or ceilings because they saw that a Jewish teacher had posted something on Facebook that was pro-Israel. And Mm -hmm. apparently at first it wasn't even reported. And then when they got out into the newspapers and people were starting to make a big stink about it, the mayor, et cetera, they're trying to play it down. Well, they're really not bad kids. One of his excuses I really loved goes, what do you want from them? They get all their news from TikTok. But this was somebody in charge of their education. So I thought that was a rather silly thing to say. It was your job to let them know. And right now, they're going to maybe suspend a few kids, but they're not exactly imposing consequences. I generally think I live in a very safe area, but this is getting closer to home where people are not just protesting. And I think that gets a little bit towards the Conor McGregor road that's going on. Yes, Um. Well, Megan, you got the wrong name on there, and I just almost... Oh, yeah, sorry about that. You call, <laughs> you call me Brian. And... I almost dead-named you, and then I'd have to resign. Oh, yeah, it's a oh, dead name. Uh, yeah, I just I went through a transformation on the drive here. So, um, yeah, no, I was going to say, like, even in my office, I work for the government, we had somebody come, and, like, the guy, he just came. It has nothing to do with anything. He goes, are you Jewish? To, to me, and it was so off-putting, like it was the first time in my life that that's ever happened. And I'm seeing it more and more. And um, I, going back to the incident, the, the riot that took place, apparently that poor teacher has to have a bodyguard now or some kind of level of security. Did you hear that too? I, well, I'm not sure what I heard the last, but all I know yeah. is she was barricaded. She was afraid. I, well, I'm, I'm glad all that anti-bullying education that's in these public schools is working so well. Listen, it's only anti-bullying if you're yeah. bullying, not bullying like the left. If you bully the right, you're a hero. Trust me, I had to go through that with my kids well, and pull them out of the government schools because of, of course, what we went through. Jews aren't the right, right? I mean- yeah, but you're white. They think you're white, <laughs> oh, even though I sent you that, I sent everybody that real yeah from Israel where like it's, you know, obviously not white Jewish people Mm -hmm. watching this American white liberal spew off that, you know, we're, we're racist for supporting Israel. Wouldn't it be fair to ask, isn't it the job of the school superintendent to educate the kids? Uh, He's an administrator, he'll argue. And not to say that if they learn from TikTok, I'd be embarrassed to say that. I think the the trouble is, isn't it, that they stopped doing anti-bullying policies. They said they were still doing them, but Hmm. what their anti-bullying policies became was woke ideology policies. And the woke ideology policies only want to protect certain groups. Mm -hmm. Well, that was the whole point of it from the beginning. Outside those groups. (laughs) Yeah. 
if you fall outside those groups, you have no protection. Yeah, there was a right. uh, a rap artist who said some pretty viciously anti-white things. Um, I think it was last year, and I forget the name. But then he sort of ended this diatribe with an anti-Jewish statement, and he got hauled up by the the ADL types and meant to you know go through um, you know uh, anti-Semitism training. But all of his anti-white stuff was anti-anti-Semitism. You know, that that's just Duragur, you know. I mean, everybody's anti-white, so we can't. Well, doesn't can't that help get to the that. Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens tiff? Yeah, yeah. Which I I don't know exactly what's going on. I think they both shut up about it. I haven't heard anything about it in this last week. Um, you know, I I don't think. I think when ben, okay, so my my actual opinion is that I, I have, of all sorts of opinions, but I, Ben Shapiro was so completely bloodthirsty when he, when October seventh terrorist attack ha happened. He sounded like he sounded like one of us. No, I mean he was like grotesquely uh, bloodthirsty. I, I and I didn't, you know, obviously I think Hamas needs to be destroyed, but you know he was so completely over the top that I think it was a really bad look for him. And I think, you know, Candace, um, you know, was, was reacting to that and reacting to the fact that obviously there are a lot of, of young, you know, uh, uh, minors in Gaza. Half the population is, is minors. And so, you know, couldn't possibly be responsible for, um, you know, the government, that the Hamas government. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I do see that there's on the one side, on the other, other side, um, if you can, apparently, the latest polling, though, in in one of the things that isn't spoken about, uh, showed strong support from the Gazans for the uh, attacks, and those attacks were some of the most barbaric, evil, and and revolting we've seen since the Holocaust, and they've got strong support from Gazans. So you know, yeah, um, I mean, but you, I mean, yes, that's certainly true, and I, and again, I. Uh, I, I don't know whether I talked to last week, but I was talking in the chat. You know, I think that casualties are minimized when you go as fast and as violent as possible. It, it seems very counterintuitive, but um, it's prolonging prolonging conflicts that causes causes casualties because the casualties just <laughs> mount up over time. Uh, this is sort of one of those things that that is counterintuitive in military science, but is, um, you know, has been proven over and over again. So, again, and, you know, as somebody who used to be in marketing research, I'm just impressed that a polling company could get into Gaza to get those responses from those people in the middle of the war. But hey. Yeah, was well I'm sure they were very honest responses. I think I mean, they're not taught anything differently, right? They're, they're taught. The well, Koran and hatred of Jews. That's the curriculum in Gazan school. Remember so, that I mean, uh, Israel's esteemed ex-Prime uh, Minister Ehud Barak, who probably should be hung, but he said many years ago when I was actually living there that had he been raised in Gaza, he'd be a terrorist as well. Um, yeah. well if I happened to have agreed I, with him, I would have been too, because if you're propagandized, you're propagandized. I think the issue with Ben Shapiro, and I, I'm not a big Ben Shapiro fan, I think if he would have said, I am now speaking as an Orthodox right-wing Jew who has a million relatives in Israel, rather than as the head of the Daily Wire, blah, 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 it would have been okay to be bloodthirsty and want revenge. 
But mm-hmm. then I think the comeback of, but as an American, you know, is that a, a normal position to take when you don't care about everybody else being slaughtered? I, I just think he was wearing the wrong hat. So, and let him move well, to Israel and join the army. One of the things you guys have been talking about a lot recently that I've been thinking about is how these anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian rallies don't seem to be aware of any of the nuance or complications or subtleties. And they don't seem to be asking, like, where is their motivation coming from? Right. Like, Ed P., you, you've brought up several times, like there's so many other wars going on. There's so many other things that could be protested. There's so much violence. You know, why this particular one? right now. Um, and I, I heard about a group of indigenous people in Seattle who came out in their canoes and kayaks to barricade the bay because there was a ship there in harbor that was supposedly being loaded with weapons that rumor had it were going to be uh, shipped to Israel to be used against the oh, Palestinians. Yeah. So there was this um, there was this rally, there was this protest, and the employees were blocked from getting on the ship, and you know, the cargo was blocked from being loaded on the ship and so forth. Um, and so these indigenous people were there to support other indigenous people they've never even met. And this was this discreet charitable move. Now I'm not questioning those individual people's motives. I understand that. You know, they're 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 trying to stand against the slaughter of civilians in Gaza. But then that raises all kinds of questions about the definition of an indigenous people group and who was there first and how do we mm-hmm. measure that and how do we distinguish between Hamas and the citizens who are harboring or shielding them? Standing up, I don't think they're standing up for the against the the uh attacks on on civilians in in Gaza. I think it's anti-semitism. I think they just don't like Jews and they'll use any excuse they can to hate Jews. Well, I do think there's the, the well, Steve Saylor's issue of the coalition of the fringes, right? I mean, we, yeah. The, all of these fringe fringe groups think that they have to stand against quote-unquote white supremacy and of course if you Mm -hmm. talk to jonathan greenblatt they'll say hey we're not white we're jewish but i think everybody is um uh you know (laughs) steve doesn't like jonathan greenblatt i don't i know i'm just confused what am i right now (laughs) yeah exactly exactly well you're well, you're white when it has suits you and you're not white when it suits you. You know, when they, they, ask me, when it, um, they always ask me, am I Caucasian? Am I African-American? Am I Latino? Am I Asian? They never ask me if I'm Jewish in that column. They ask me if I'm Jewish, maybe in a different column. So, I mean, I think I part of the problem is most of the people protesting couldn't find Palestine or Israel on a map and couldn't tell you the most remote thing about their history. When they, mm. well, I've seen people go out well, some can. and talk wow. to them. And yeah. they literally don't know what they're talking about. Aren't I mean, there, there are, are places to pay them? Yeah, a lot there of them are many men in street videos. Hard for educated well, people to get to the heart of it. But, but Ed M., but no one is going to say, is no one is consciously doing this out of anti-Semitism. Now, whether they have anti-Semitism, they're in their mix of confused thoughts and motives, sure. But no one is saying, I'm going to get in my canoe and risk my life and blockade this harbor because I hate Jews. Yeah. It's weird because Palestinian babies, you just because they don't just because they don't acknowledge that out front out loud doesn't mean that that's not what's motivating them. Sure. Like well, I said, it, it could be part saying of the, it out loud. The They're saying it out loud. 
Some of them are. Some of them are. That's Sydney. That Sydney, Australia. Yeah. Here. You know. Yeah, there was in the subway. There was. They're in my office asking for I'm Jewish. So yeah, it's happening. And yeah, there was stuff in the subway painted on the walls, like. And to try to downplay it is very disturbing. Yeah. You know, if you look at the history of cultural Marxism, you know, um, besides the the race and the sex and the gender and, and the sexuality, there's this anti-colonialism that is that pervades it. And I think the idea is that, um, you know, since there was mass migration of of Jews into the Holy Land in the 20th century, you know, going from a few thousand in the beginning to, you know, millions today, I think there is this idea in the in the in the, the cultural Marxist milieu that um, the Jews did in fact, quote unquote, colonize um, Palestine. And so in, in a lot of sense, it might, it might less be anti-Jewish than it is anti-colonialist. Mm. And like when, uh, again, when did this happen? When did, when are they saying this happened? When did what happen? The migration? When did they say the Jews colonized? In well, the, in the 20th in the 30s century. and 40s up until the 40s. Where was Jesus born? What was he? <laughs> yeah, I mean the when was that after the after the Bar Kokhba revolt in 132 mm-hmm. AD, the Romans pushed all of the Jews out of Palestine, and it was there was so a it, Jewish. That's not true. Small Jewish community. The Jewish they pushed uh, them out of the Jerusalem area. They went to north. They lived in the Galilee. Yeah, yeah, um, right. Yeah, that part's not true. But, but what I'm saying though, is. If you're a protester protesting 75 years of Israeli occupation of Gaza, when Egypt had it the first 19 years, you're just a blithering ignoramus. Oh, no, I think so, they're protesting Jewish colonization no, no, no. of they're the saying, Levant. They're literally saying we've been occupied here in Gaza for 75 years. So yeah, that's if they knew what Even, a Balfour declaration... I, I just can't let that go. Here. I mean, that is such utter horse garbage. What because is? They have been free to have their own self-rule since yes. 2006. Mm-hmm. This is utter nonsense and it should we shouldn't even grant it the legitimacy of debate. They, they're not they haven't been occupied in almost 20 years. They've had their own elected leaders, their mm-hmm. own government, their own country for for since 2006. So this notion that they're occupied is BS, pure mm-hmm. and simple. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not taking their side, but the devil's advocate position, which of course is is well, you won't let us import anything, you know, you won't let us do, and of course that's because all they want to import is all the weapons. You know, Hamas wants to import is, <laughs> they, is they, weapons uh, and rockets and nuclear yeah. materials. And stuff. The, the colonialism argument is highly selective, anyway, isn't it? And it's completely disingenuous because um, every nation where there is a Muslim majority was colonized by Muslims and Arabs yeah, yeah, in absolutely. the waves of Islamic conquest. Yeah. So they yeah. are all colonizers. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and, right. And well, right. As someone you know, who's half Sicilian, I could tell you that that was uh, overtaken and colonized a lot throughout history. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I mean, the I Muslims want reparations. Uh, owned Sicily for a while. <laughs> here's, a, here's a curious thing about, about the... Uh, pro-Palestine riots too, is they're the last people who would believe some kind of conservative Christian chronology or who would take the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible literally. And yet that's the only way that you can make 
<laughs> Jews into colonizers <laughs> if you take a literal historical view that when Joshua came in, you know, and knocked down the walls of Jericho, that he colonized in the year 1440. BC or whatever. But if you take the scholarly reading, then you have the gradual emergence theory, the coherence of a Hebrew peoples from the surrounding nations very gradually over a couple of millennia um, before Christ. And then, as you just said, Daniel, then the Islamic invasions yeah. in the 600s and subsequently. So then that they would be the colonizers. And well, the, the Hebrew you know, peoples the, would be indigenous having emerged and coalesced from the, their neighbors. The, the, the Persians, then right. the Romans, then, you know, then right. the Muslims. Yeah. So yeah. It's, a proud, it's a proud all history of colonizers. Mm -hmm. All colonizers. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's tough. Um, but, but I mean, that was, that was really, um, essentially that derived from the language of the Russian revolution. And the la the language of of um, Marxism, you know, that's where the colonialism and imperialism as yeah. things that you criticize derives from. Um, well, and it is interesting. The United States was always, even when the United States was at the height of its imperialist, it was always very much against the British Empire for whatever reason. And as the Second World War progressed, it was the U.S. who pushed the British to decolonize. I know they're, they're run out of money and, and the colonies were were costing a lot of money, just like our empire is costing us a ton of money. But um, it is it is striking me that the United States sided against the British in the 56 Suez uh, and crisis. The French. And the French, yeah. Um, and that was, you know, that was Eisenhower. You know, you don't think of Eisenhower as a, as a Marxist of any sort, but, um, you know, it's very much the United States pushed for the end of the British Empire. Um, oh, yes, absolutely. And I, I, you know, I, and, I, and I don't think it's done anybody any good, to be honest. Not, not that the British could have kept their empire because it was costing them a fortune, but, um, but uh, you know. Okay, I want to ask two questions about the Israel-Gaza conflict as much as I don't want to make this show about Israel. Um, <laughs> number one, the United States sending supplies to the enemy of their supposed close ally. What are people's opinions? And is this normal for the United States to be so over-involved in literally dictating every single move Israel makes including Blinken flying to Israel every other day and sitting in on cabinet meetings. Is that something that the United States does or any other countries do to sovereign countries? It's something well, new we, and it's something we should stop doing. Yeah, stop doing it. I mean, look we, at the do 82 we do that war. to other countries? Yes, we're doing it to Ukraine. Are we sitting <laughs> in Ukraine cabinet meetings? Because I'm not aware of that. Uh, I think it's Obama. Blinken, no. I don't think, as far as I'm aware, we have never done that to any country. No, it's a appalling. Sitting in a cabinet. Not only well, a I mean, in, in, interestingly, the, the, the thing that I can think of that's a close equivalent is um, what the EU did to Greece, um, yeah. you know, after the 2008 crashes. Um, so, you know... The, One second, wasn't yeah, Greece part of the EU? Sorry? The, the e yeah, the EU uh, basically 
pulled a coup on the Greek government. They did it to the um, to to the Italian government too, and basically replaced yeah. the elected government with uh, with EU appointed bureaucrats. Um, but and, Greece, uh, wasn't they, Greece voluntarily part of the EU? Well, Israel is yes, voluntarily like, like part voluntarily of the American joined. Empire. Okay, Ed, uh, thank you. Hold that thought because I think that's part of the problem. But you know, it's they're not only in cabinet meetings; they're in what they call the war cabinet, which is only a handful of people, and yet they feel they can sit in there and literally dictate. And I don't think you can find me a parallel somewhere. That's not the same as the EU and Greece. Greece was part of the EU and wanted to have involvement of the EU. It's different than a sovereign. Uh, not to the not to the extent of having their government replaced. I, I see your point that they are different, but that's uh, the I'm not so. I, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not going to be uh, considered anti-Semitic for this comment, but I, I don't think they would let a non-Jewish American Secretary of State sit in the cabinet meeting. I think it's just it's because uh, Blinken is a Jew that nah. they welcome him into. The, you don't think so? No, no. not at all. Israel, no, it's, Israel has its quirks. But you got to remember, they have Arab members of Knesset. Uh, there was a coalition until this one that had Arabs in the government. They're Arab high, um, high court justices in the Supreme Court. Now, it's not that. Um, no. Okay, I'll trust you. I don't know if they consider Blinken Jewish. I have no idea. I, just, I think it's disgusting. I have no problem with America saying, if you want our stuff, we get to have a say. But I think it's so over the top of demanding we sit in your meetings and we go over your war maps. And I'm also wondering, you know, if when Jews wanted to send stuff to Germany and Poland because Jews were dying over there of starvation, et cetera, and America absolutely forbade anybody from sending a chocolate bar because you're going to be helping the enemy. Well, why is the United States sending plane loads of stuff for the Gaza civilians? I'm having trouble finding the difference between those two things. Well, the government, our government uh, is a bunch of busybodies, Republicans or Democrats. They want the, you know, it's this bizarre empire that we have. We we think we can dictate the policies, uh, economic policies, uh, trade policies, um, you know, uh, speech policies of all and uh, now war policies of all of these other governments and and, uh, and we're fighting once again on both sides of the war well apparently <laughs> it is a united war cabinet apparently it isn't the israeli war cabinet apparently it's a well no i mean in the sense that it's not a, it yeah that no that means it's a um it, it's not a partisan war cabinet Likud is a, in government but they've formed a unity government. So they're right, bringing right. in uh, labor and some of the other parties. Um, that, that is a, the British model. The British did that in the Second World War. Um, yeah, it's actually a horrific model because what they did is they brought in other parties with one mind and they absolutely refused mm -hmm. to let anybody in there with another mind, even though they're part of the government. But that that's an internal Israeli issue. And, and the United States sort of did it in the Second World War too, sort of, in that the... Uh, FDR uh, put a bunch of Republicans in cabinet posts um, as a kind of a unity government, um, even though everybody knew FDR was still in charge. Um, well, I have a question. As an American taxpayer, which we all are, I believe, except for maybe Daniel, <clears throat> you can send money here, too. How do you feel about America fighting and funding two sides of every war? 
I mean, of course, ostensibly, but of course, ostensibly, the support is going to try to help protect civilians, not to fund. But it's also going to kill the civilians. So make up your mind. You're still fighting two sides of the war. If you're giving Israel bombs to kill civilians and then you're giving stuff to the civilians to not be killed, you're fighting two sides of a war. Well, it's kind of worse than that because the, you know, again, from what I've been able to tell from reading and God knows what you read on the internet, right? But from what I can tell, the the NGOs who are appointed by the United Nations to take care of the refugees and civilians in Gaza, this is before the war, um, are so thoroughly and completely penetrated by, um, you know, the Hamas ideology and government and whatnot that if you send money to these NGOs, then some, you know, tax of it goes to the Hamas government that, uh, you know, spends it on weapons and rockets and, and whatnot. And now in the war, it's it's hard. Like the United States says, we're not sending any money to Hamas. We're sending these non-governmental organizations who take care of civilians. But that was a farce before the war. So I can't imagine it's not a farce now, but even I do, if it weren't a farce, that's exactly what Jews were trying to do in 1943 and 1944. And the American government said, no, you can't send anything to our enemies because it will help the war effort. I'm just pointing out. And that. they stopped the uh, they stopped the Red Cross from doing it, too. And they were not a, an American organization or based in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, we don't want to talk about the, the Red Cross's part in the Israeli-Gaza deal, that the Red Cross isn't doing what supposedly they're supposed to do, because that's a whole other subject. In the war in Syria, which is more or less wound down to a frozen state, um, the CIA was supporting al-Qaeda, <laughs> and the um, Defense Department was supporting the Kurdish separatists. And at one point, they were fighting each other for a particular territory. So you had CIA operatives on the ground with Al-Qaeda fighting the military, you know, our military embeds with the Kurdish fighting each other. And that was one of the few things when Trump found out about that, he was like, "Okay, we're stopping this. We're not funding out. We're not starting Al-Qaeda anymore. And of course, the CIA was incensed because obviously the Al-Qaeda was doing their bidding in Syria. Um, and so, yeah, we do fight on both sides of, of wars. This is recent though. This is not, you know, this is not something we did back in the day. Well, thank God for that. Can I, I just want to bring up something that I think is a much happier, more positive subject. Apparently we, can all, back, we can all go back to university and take a course on Taylor Swift. Yes, oh, but not goodness. not British lit, not English lit, but Taylor Swift. Oh. We can go to Harvard and take a course on Taylor Swift, and then we wonder what's wrong with our education system. Well, like, it's about whiteness, whiteness in America. Taylor Swift and whiteness in America. I, 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 she is very white. She's very yeah. She's I think she's whiter than me. You guys remember all in the 60s and the 70s when the sit-ins in school started changing curricula and people were wondering, you know, how far is this going to go? We're going to throw out Shakespeare and put this in. Now we're putting Taylor Swift into the curriculum. I, hey, no, I, I, I I'm sure it, I'm sure it terrifies China. I Ruth just learned Yeah, Ruth has been in the um, uh, 
field for a while in in school. Um, yeah, I'm an I'm an English professor, so. Oh, okay. But, well, teach us about that. I mean, I mean the uh, the idea, and I want to ask you. You know, the idea is, um, you know, each course that a university has is in competition with other courses. You know, and if they all kind of satisfy a requirement, so generally speaking, I would think that you want to give courses that are going to attract students. And so that's where you get the Taylor Swift is kind of a free market in courses. Is that wrong or is that right? Ruth? No, that's probably true. Um, I wanted to address that and the changing of the names of English lit courses as well. But we study, we study all kinds of texts and cultural products as well. So I don't think there's any problem with studying, you know, a cultural movement that's really important and looking at her lyrics and the spectacle of her performances and looking at the fan culture and all that. It's all super important. It's like studying what were the fan responses to Shakespeare in his time. You know, what? how do the groundlings, what lines did he throw in for them and how did it compete with the bear baiting spectacles next door um, and looking at the economic and material factors of of Shakespeare and his various indoor and outdoor theaters. So don't see any problem with that. Um, it would be unfortunate if it replaced other classes, but it's sure to be an elective for non-English majors. So whatever. And as far as the changing of the, um, the name of the English lit courses, that's been a problem all along. What do we call our classes? Because usually in a lot of universities, where are you gonna go to study Dante in the English department? Dante didn't write in English, he wrote in Italian. Um, so and if, do we study it in translation? Do we study it in a bilingual call, you know, two column edition? So some places will have a classics department or a great texts department, and then they'll fight over who owns which texts. But that's one reason that we're changing the names of English lit departments to more like literature departments or rhetoric and composition and literature or humane letters or various names like that, because we want to be able to teach Dostoevsky as well and not just be English or British. But we still have our British lit survey that's, courses. That, that's a very um, that's a, um, a very gentle spin on the fact that, you know, uh, call me cynical, but I don't think many of the people doing this are doing this purely because they were worried about um, whether Dante was being properly represented. I think they were doing it because they despise everything connected with England and with English history, English no. culture. No. Um, and they see Not people at all. like Shakespeare just as dead white males who deserve no There, there is some of that, oh, though. No, there I mean, is some of that. I mean, in the in the you know in the whole uh, Anglo-Saxon, it's, it's pretty rare. I mean, you can go to an MLA conference with tens of thousands of people, and you might might bump into a couple of people who think that way. Um, now, we're not giving up our Shakespeare anytime soon. Now, granted, we're going to do queer readings of him up one side and down the other, uh, but we're not going to give him up. <laughs> I, um, when I was in academia in the UK, and uh, this this was before the kind of more recent and more extreme versions of wokeness. Um, you know, I was in academia 20 years ago um, uh, and, you know, I got a doctorate in literature. And at that stage, I was the only conservative in, in my courses, in any of my courses. Yeah. And I was the only person who, for example, would do things like, defend the record of the British Empire 
you know, and the the commonplace attitude uh, was, yes, they had specific authors that they loved and some of them were part of the Western canon, but the base assumption was that such a thing as the Western canon or such a thing as English literature was a kind of um, declaration of supremacism and should be jettisoned. And that was 20 years ago, you know, and, and people have got a lot more radical since then. Yeah, but it hasn't been jettisoned. It's It's been opened up. It's been varied. It's been enriched. It's been diversified, but it hasn't been jettisoned. Daniel, well, I, I mean, don't know where you've been here in the States. I, I think the, wait, the, the, the left, they're all against banning books now here in the States. <laughs> I just <laughs> hope you know. I, yeah. I do think that the United Kingdom has been... Uh, a little bit worse than this. Um, but before we get well, off I've, the I've university, studied, I've studied there as well. So before we get off the universities, I wanted to share just one thing here. Um, and I, for no particular reason, there's no reason at all that I want to share this. Not um, at all. I just no. It has <laughs> nothing to do with any personal connection. Just... I have no personal connection. <laughs> I just I just wanted to share that just came out. Pat today. yourself on the back, there, Doctor B. <laughs> <laughs> just 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 came out today just wanted to share it no real reason you should explain um, it for those who listen audio only after the fact uh it's a it's the u.s news and world report best universities um princeton mit harvard stanford yale penn caltech duke brown and johns hopkins and northwestern for the the top uh the top 10 um and uh some of us may have gone to Princeton. I, I don't know. As long as they're as long as they're teaching Taylor Swift and critical race theory, none of them deserve any respect whatsoever. <laughs> I object to that remark very strongly. <laughs> I thought you. Well, might. I mean, I I agree. I agree with Daniel on the critical race theory, but I kind of agree. I with think Ruth you all misunderstand critical of, race theory. Okay, How many of you have read it. it? Go for it. Yeah. Well, ed educator. How many of you have read but, Critical Race Theory? Well, I've read enough of it, um, yes. Enough of it. Yes. Yeah, no, it's just, it's looking at how history influences what goes on today. It's looking at the remnants of previous racism and how they continue to affect the legal system today. I think that people have misunderstood um, the application of it from law into general practice. And I hear many people uh, mischaracterize it as white hatred, as reverse racism against white people. Nonsense. It's just looking at how the um, original racism in the founding and the history of the United States was baked into law and policy and economics and still has an ongoing effect today. And it's very practical and you can see it in the impact that it has on our friends and neighbors. Racism, racism was not baked into the founding of this country. And insofar as that's your allegation, then you can't reasonably say object when we say that critical race theory is reverse racism. You're injecting white racism where it wasn't. The Declaration of Independence had nothing to do with racism. And insofar as slavery and race were a part of it, Jefferson's draft originally singled out slavery and it, it, the the, found, the founding of this country was not based in ra in racism. So, but well, it was a big part I, of it. Know, it was. A, there's there two aspects. Any part of it. What? There's two. Exactly. There's two. Please show there's me two aspects. what you're seeing. That 
Please. I would. Well, I mean, obviously, the Constitution had vague references to slavery in it. Um, but I would I would disagree. I no, mean, obviously, you own slaves. This is bogus. I'm not going to sit here and let you get away with that, Dr. Powell. That's not. Well, I mean, whoa, let's have a civil conversation here, boys. It's not, it's just I mean, we all we all understand that slavery was part of the United States uh, at the founding and that the the union would not have come together. Black if, but it, was, it, was, it was more economic. Then. Yes, there yes, black, there were. Yes, yes, there were black slave owners. Were That's there correct. white slaves? Yes. Yes, there was. Yes. There was. OK, it, it, there it was wasn't a founded in racism. Slavery was something that existed in every yeah. human every, civilization. Every it still exists today. Every culture has always yeah. had slavery. And it, I, I have seen statistics that there are actually more people who are trafficked today in this country than yes. there were enslaved persons before the Civil War. However, it behooves every country to study the particularities of its own history and of its particular form of slavery. And the United States practiced a particular form of race-based chattel slavery for which it needs to take accountability and which it needs to examine, just we as took accountability. Accountability. Just every other country. More racism than it was before we had it in our schools. Just racism as every has escalated other because of CRT. To look at its particular yeah. model and its particular you know, history. I, I think, people are I looking think, at it and becoming more racist. Guys, we're yeah, sounding exactly. like an Israeli talk show talking over people. <laughs> I, I would um, <laughs> we're still it, I would push hyper-racializing everything. I, I know that I know that Ruth thinks that's what CRT is, but that's not what it is. It's just Certainly another not the motive behind it. It's it's just another part of you know the Frankfurt School cultural Marxism, where instead of you know I you know a class um, you know the struggle between classes, it's the, the mm -hmm. struggle between races specific to the United States, and it, you know again if it's and it's the same as the gender is the same. It's the, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in some sense, uh, um, the third wave feminism. Um, it, it's it's kind of the the Marxist in academia taking the I, the fundamental idea of behind um, behind Marxism and applying it to non-economic areas. And that's kind of what we get when we get someone like Kendi, who, um, you know, who is sort of. Well, he's he's a little bit disgraced because he's wasted all fifty million dollars, but of uh, that he was given. But I mean, it, you know, with his Department of Anti-Racism, where every policy has to be this, you know, um, uh, you know, the anti-racism amendment to the Constitution, which he says every particular policy that the United States has um, and law has to be judged based on uh, how it affects race and and thrown out, you know, accordingly, and that it, basically a totalitarian of the of the uh, totalitarianism of the black black racism, and that that's the actual practical effect of um, CRT in our universities. It's it's not hey, we really ought to think about um, you know black history and black experience and 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 slavery and how it gets to the United States. That's no one have a of, problem with that. That that's it, the it, kind it, of thing. It's it's right. more it's, cultural Marxism. Um, can I just um, put this in but, context with? Um, some of the other topics we've dealt with because um, CRT, as far as I'm concerned, is a race-hate theory. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the 
but you can see that it's a race hate theory because it says exactly the same things about white people that Hitler said about Jews. In the very earliest surviving letter we have from Hitler, which I think is from 1918, he talks about Jewish privilege. The argument of privilege that this race uh, has unfairly acquired things. It has things because it's conspiratorial. It has things because it acts against other races unfairly and unjustly. And it acts in a concerted manner based on the inherent evil of its race. That's what CRT is effectively saying to everyone about white people. It's the same thing. Yep. So well if, a if, a, if a theory doesn't work, how do we get rid of it? Because this is a critical race theory. It's generating more racism. The incidences of anti-Semitism Black racism, racism against white people, racism against black people, everything has gone up since it's been trying to impl be implemented. So I think that it's not working. So I, I would be fine and I'd not, be fascinated. It's not supposed to work. It's supposed it, no, it's I mean, not. It's supposed to divide, 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 divide. It's always divide and conflict. Everyone be, would be interested in African-American studies. I mean, and and you know, where everybody came from. I don't think anybody would be opposed to that. I think it would right. be a beautiful, wonderful thing. Unfortunately, they are. Unfortunately, faculty are being fired from conservative institutions from just trying to teach African-American history studies. There just are no conservative teach... institutions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're realists. Like, yeah, like, like, like Hillsdale Hills College. Hills Hills Hillsdale, they're Pensacola out of there. Yeah, they're, they're firing professors at Hillsdale. <laughs> yeah, Pensacola Bible College, Palm Beach Atlantic University, you know. Oh, okay. Those All right, Bob so Jones, those sorts of places. Religious, yeah. religious, yeah, religious institutions, yes. religious institutions. The there is a difference between the generals, which like Derek Bell, and the captains like Ken, like uh, Kendi, and um, and then the privates, which are the media, really, um, and uh, but definitely from the from the Kendis of the world and and the media, it's I mean you you can't you can't go more than a day without seeing something about white privilege or, or mm -hmm. um, you know, ex destroying whiteness or we have to eliminate whiteness. I've got a whole, I've got a whole folder full of anti-whiteness uh, videos that I've captured from, um, from, you know, various professors and whatnot. There's uh, the, it's, it's very much, uh, we have the National Museum of African American History here in, in DC published a document talking about what whiteness is. I could bring that up, but it, it basically says, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're diligent and smart and individualistic and you follow the rules and you, you use math and, no you know, logic and reason and all these things, you're white, you know, and it's like, it was the, it was the most wildly hey, anti-black racist thing I, I've, I've seen, seen that. in my entire life. I, that doesn't shocked. make any sense because the, the, the original concept of whiteness is the idea of thinking that white people are better than people of other skin colors and other ethnicities. The idea of whiteness is hatred of those who are different and thinking one is superior to them. So I don't know where those people got that listed. If you tell somebody to be on time, don't be late, that's racist. Yeah, That literally was out there. There's no question mm -hmm. of that. I have to tell you something. Um, thank God nobody, I, nobody in my family was in the Holocaust. The millions of them that were being fed into ovens after being gas chambered, 
I don't think they felt very racist towards blacks. And I don't think they felt very privileged. So I don't know that any particular ethnicity has a, a big monopoly on being treated horribly. And my understanding well, is more whites were traded as slaves throughout history than blacks. Well, this is what, well, what's, sca what's scary. And I don't know if you talked about this on the recent show is the, the polling of younger people in this country about siding with the Palestinians and the Gazans and, and all that. And it, in the wake of the, the terrorist attack, I mean, it's it's chilling in, in a lot of ways, specifically because of what you're bringing up, Stephen, with the Holocaust. It's like, where, where I mean, there, there's no sense of history at all. It's, no. It's downright Also, if we're, if we're against slavery, my understanding is, um, contrary to Mayorkas, that a heck of a lot of people coming over our southern border are being sold into actual slavery today. But I don't see yeah, anybody up true. in arms against Mayorkas, except for a few wackos on the right side. So I don't think we're against slavery, just like we're not against Arabs being killed. Nobody cares if 100,000 Arabs get killed in Syria, Iran, or, or I mean, Iraq, Yemen, any of those right. places. But if they're killed by the wrong people and nobody's against slavery, unless it's the wrong people enslaving them. So if we're against slavery, my understanding is it's going on right now, right here in the United States. When um, when the whole kerfuffle in the Obama administration came up about, you know, unac un unaccompanied minors or, or, or family units, um, anyone who has a kid um, has a get into, you know, get out of jail, get into the United States free card. And um, once you have that, uh, children began to be traded in Central America, um, kidnapped or even even horribly sold by their own parents um, as as tickets into the United States. And of course, the people who use them to get into the United States are not going to take care of them. So they then try and sell them into um, child sex trafficking or something like that. And th this was this was started in the obama administration it continued in the trump administration until he shut the border and now has gone back into infinity into the united states now as kids um as kids are your ticket uh into the u.s and it's just it's appalling and like we've talked about the fentanyl uh, catastrophe and we've talked about um you know all these people sleeping on the streets and now it's getting cold in new york and there's 150,000, you know people with no place to go. But, you know, the child trafficking part of it, which is incentivized by our, we think it's cruel that if, you know, if a child shows up with a, a child and, and a man, a woman, a child show up at the border, we, we think it's cruel. Oh, you have to go. Um, but as soon as um, the Trump administration started doing DNA tests, they found up to a third of the children that were presenting at the border were not related to either the father or the mother or both parents when, um, when they were coming over and, the, and these people are not going to take care of the child. The child is going to end up in some sort of a, um, right. a traffic situation. And, and, and so we think it's cruel saying, no, you can't come. But in fact saying, Oh, if you have a child, you can come in. That's the cruel thing because that makes children um, commodities that can be bought yeah. and sold in Central America. And it's, it's really a tragedy and almost no one is talking about it. Yeah. Great point. Uh, speaking speaking of that, did you see it was all over Twitter, I think yesterday or the day before, it was that someone that I used to know 
And it was allegedly Stephen Colbert um, dressed as a clown singing to a child who was also singing dressed in makeup. Have you all seen that? No. It, it was one of the most disturbing. I'll have to send it to you. It was one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. And they're saying it's Stephen Colbert. And incidentally, he has not been feeling well and he's asked for a week off from work. Um, so it's, it's, he's singing, he's dressed as a clown and there's a boy with no shirt on who looks absolutely terrified. And, um, I'll send it around. Oh, come on. There is no one who looks more terrified than a child around Joe Biden. Give me a break on that. I that has got to, have you seen the children like go, go like that? that was awful. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to step out, everybody. Thank Bye. you. Bye. It's great Bye. seeing you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Come back. <laughs> yeah, I'll send. Well, let me try to find it. Um, and I'll send it right away. Guys, do so you want to discuss this Twitter story that's out there? Which one of you passed which one? in the thread that the government is trying to get information oh. from anybody who ever retweeted or liked? I mean, I could have guessed that. They didn't I knew that. it that's when Jack, I liked his stuff. That's Jack Smith. Yes, that is Jack Smith. And that is exactly what he's trying to get. Anybody who interacted with Trump's tweets, which, of course, is probably all of us. We were, we were conspiracy theorists, though. Oh, Ed. Again, how bad is this? How far crossing a line is this? All right, we're going to have a cat show after. We can definitely. <laughs> Everybody gets to hold their cats if they have a cat. 100%. Big belly. There we go. Ed, do you want to formally introduce your cat to uh, Megan's cat? Oh, uh, our my cats are in the donut over here asleep together. So and they don't they come will... when they're called. Huh. Hmm. No, I I come when I'm called. You don't get the whole cat thing. I, I do get the cat under, thing. Yes, you don't understand. Dogs cats, have but... owners and cats have servants. Yeah, I get it. Yes, staff. But I mean, Ed M, is this surprising? This Twitter thing is this just? more of the same is this beyond the line and should people be upset will people be upset i doubt it it's not unexpected it is mm -hmm. beyond the line people should be upset but i don't think people are either aware of it or upset about it i think Where we suspected it who's talking about it in in is fox is newsmax is who's talking about it does anybody watch fox i don't know I don't I don't watch TV much, but I don't, I don't watch any no, TV. I, I I read it in Substack. I mean, I read a lot of Substack articles um, and uh, this came across, I think, in Technofog. He, he's a lawyer who does uh, analysis on some of these cases. There's I, there's other lawyers. Hey, that you subscribe to my Substack. Do I subscribe? Yeah, I mean, I just did. You just told me what it was. So I just did. Yes. <laughs> some, some of no us money, did. though. Some I of us see, did it weeks ago. Him. I, I yeah. want to. I want to read a few articles before I start giving you any money there, Daniel. Well, <laughs> I uh, There's lots of free ones. You can test the water. Yeah, good. That's that's perfect. Um, it's much more fun when he says it because I love his accent. Considering that they're once again talking about you know putting the Section Seven O Two and all those Patriot Act ways of looking into what people are talking about, et cetera, et cetera. I think those stories kind of merge with the Twitter story. We don't have much privacy. And even the privacy we think we may have, we don't. And interestingly enough, the left, which used to be the liberals who wanted the government out of their business, seemingly are totally happy with all this. But 
Is there any point at I mean, which America is going to get our pitchforks? I, I mean, is the, there is the Trump exception? Is the Twitter story a privacy story or is it just, you know, government overreach? You know what I mean? Because you're, what you do on there is not private. It's both. Right. It's Well, what was the other story? You know, compiling that information, government the getting access to it. difference between phone companies giving your information to advertisers and giving it to the government. So, yes, there's two pro problems with it. Yeah. And one of the problems definitely is it getting into the hands of the government, which is worse. But again, the left nowadays is all into fascistic and totalitarian. Well, well, this stuff's been going on against the right for a long time. And I can go back to the, the Tea Party days and the IRS stuff that was going on. Right. We, we can all sense we can all sense a, a, a phase change in the air. Right. We with Malay and Argentina. We've got Wilders in, in uh the Netherlands, we've got AFD being big um, in the uh, um, in Germany, um, the Trump Brexit, things like that. There is this phase change. And I think that the the ruling class, the you know international globalist ruling class, is is going to do anything to prevent the accession of more nationalist figures. Um, and uh, it's it's going to be it's it's going to be difficult uh, in the next few years, I think, um, because I don't think they want um, you know it, our democracy is at risk if we vote for the wrong person. That's that's <laughs> basically that's that's basically it because our democracy means ruled by the ruling class by the globalists. So. Um, Daniel, do you, since you're in Europe, I'm going to just totally stereotype you here. Do you have any sense as Geert Wilder is going to succeed in getting a coalition together? Uh, I, I'd like to think he will, but my suspicion is that, um, no other party will work with him. I hope I'm wrong. Um, but I think there's, there's such a ingrained ruling class mentality of keeping anyone like that out of power they that they'll be desperately working now you know as ed uh, said um in a different form they'll be desperately working to keep him unable to form a government and, and because, in that case does it bounce to the next person in the opposition or do they go to a yes okay uh they might have to call another election um but that they will be happy to do that rather than to see uh, him forming a government. Um, but, you know, if he finds another party that's that's brave enough to do it and will defy the people who are actually in charge enough to do it, then, then great. But uh, I suspect that, you know, Maloney got in in Italy, but, uh, and she had a very populist platform and, and background. But almost as soon as she got in, she, you know, became a lot more amenable to the EU, a lot more uh, reserved in some of her statements. Well, and, it's the mass migration issue that's turning everyone. And 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 Maloney got in, and then on a platform of no more boats. And then as yeah. soon as she got in, um, you know, some godfather came to see her, or she was called to some godfather, and 
And he, he made her an offer she couldn't refuse. And that was to let in as many uh, migrants as, as the Godfather demands. And it's probably had to do with Italy's debt, to be honest. It probably was yeah. like, you want us to buy, to, you know, back your debt. Oh, they're, they're, you're they're, they're use, the yeah, they apply economic screws on uh, anybody who seems to stray in a populist direction. And they'll even yeah. do it for someone who's like 90% on board with everything they do. You know, that's what happened with Liz Truss, effectively. She was ousted after a run on the markets, a run on the pound, uh, in response to cutting taxes more than they wanted. Um, and, you know, that would have made Britain outcompete the EU. It would have been a uh, proven Brexit a success. Um, so they, you know, the, the, these are people who are connected with Rishi Sunak, who then replaced her as prime minister. You know, Rishi Sunak was from the money markets. He was, he's a money man. Um, and uh, th they will do this to anybody who gets in who's going to try and enact a, a populist platform on any in any way. Do you think the Reform Party has a chance of displacing the Tories as the... Well, ignore the SNP for a moment, but as as sort of the second largest uh, party in um, the UK, it's it's very very hard to break the first pass of post system, and I think we're going to see a collapse of the Tory vote, but a lot of it will drain away in apathy and people not voting rather than transferring all to reform. I think you know reform will will put in what's for them a good performance, but they won't replace the Tories, I don't think. Not yet. This um, happened in Canada, right, where the Progressive Conservative Party was completely destroyed one election, and the yeah. Westerns, Western part of it, the Conservative part, uh, broke off and became the Conservative Party, and then came back like four or eight years later and, and took over the government, and they're very successful government under Stephen Harper. Um, and that was a kind of a, a way that a modern party was just annihilated, but then reformed itself. And I, I wonder yeah. whether the Tories can do that. Yeah, it's, it's possible. I mean, they don't seem to have learned anything. They're, they're, they're trying. Rishi Sunak knows that, you know, they're, they're speeding towards destruction. Uh, they all know it. Uh, lots of them are saying that they're not going to stand um for election again so some of their mps are effectively jumping ship some of them ministers even are, are trying to organize i think uh cushy numbers elsewhere you know so um they 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 know the disaster's coming and he's tried to sound more i think that's part of the lg marbles argument um you know he wants to look a bit more right wing and and throw a bit of red meat to the conservative base but it's too late they've they've betrayed them for too long and they haven't solved the the uh dinghy crisis they haven't solved mass immigration and they haven't looked like they're going to um and they've been far too weak on all the kind of woke ideology and everything so um and they've betrayed brexit so there's there's nobody that's going to be you know their vote is going to collapse and um but a lot of those people who vote for them won't even have the option of vote for reform because i don't think reform have got enough money to stand in every area so um they they'll you know reform will, will 
maybe be on over 10%, which is good for them. Um, and the Tories might be under 20% by the time of the election. The last time the Labour Party got into power, um, not only did they start this whole huge mass migration movement, but they actually changed the British Constitution in two ways that are really, really awful. The, the first way was to create a Supreme Court, which basically yeah. took sovereignty away from the King and Parliament, which is kind of the British way before, and, and gave it to these unelected judges. And, and the second um, way was the reform reformation of the House of Lords, which basically gave a lot more um, power to the to the appointed, um, you know, life peers rather than the um, hereditary peers. And I have a feeling, and you tell me I'm wrong. I have a feeling that if uh, the Labour government gets 550 MPs in the next election, um, you know, the the constitutional changes are going to be um, even more radical than they were under the Blair government. Um, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, you know, Keir Starmer is sort of selling himself as a moderate now. Um, but he was, you know, the director of public prosecutions when, uh, under the Blair government, when the grooming gangs weren't prosecuted and they refused to do that because they were more worried about being called racist. Um you know, and he was the the strongest supporter of Jeremy Corbyn within when Jeremy Corbyn, the you know the Hamas loving IRA loving Jeremy Corbyn, was the leader of the Labour Party. You know, uh, he served under him and he supported him. So you know, he he's sold as a moderate because he wears suits. Um, you know, but he's he's not at all. Can we talk, basically, you mentioned the IRA. Um, the, uh, you know, Ireland, there was a big um, a row in Ireland this week because a migrant murdered or, or stabbed a bunch of kids. And then yeah. the uh, the Irish people sort of rose up. And there were, again, there were hooligans and there were, there were protesters and there were hooligans. Um, and uh, it was a fiery but mostly peaceful protest. I, I just I I don't I don't a hundred percent know how to say this, but the Irish people fought for five hundred years to kick out foreigners from their country, and the new government wants to basically replace the Irish people with foreigners over the next what now seven years. Um, the the plan is that the actual Irish will be. Um, will be a minority in their own country by 2030. That's the current government uh, led yeah. by a president who, is, is, who isn't even Irish. He's half Indian and half English. Um, and I just don't get it. I, I don't get how people who for 500 years fought 100% against foreign control of their, of their country is giving up their country to a bunch of foreigners. And it's happening like overnight. And I... I, well, I I don't condone violence, but I do like the fact that the Irish people are finally, you know, finding their voice, even if it isn't Conor McGregor, the the um, uh, the fighter. Doesn't it go back to what Steve was saying, that point? It, it just has to do with the person that was actually there. They didn't like the way that they were. So now a new person is moving in and they that that's OK. 
that's okay. It was just that the British were not okay. They were not the right flavor. But this flavor, that's more palatable. Well, this flavor is well, a lot more violent than the British. Well, the 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 um the nationalists. If you're a genuine Irish nationalist, uh, then you wanted you know in the Republic, then uh, or in uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, if you're an Irish nationalist, you wanted shot of the English, and uh, and you didn't like the um, you know the the Ulstermen, the Northern Irish who are <coughs> who are pro-British and proud of being British. Um, but the point is all along that that the uh, Irish nationalist movements have been um, hardcore left-wing movements as well. So it's that same link of anti-colonialism and hardcore leftism, um, and the they you know the um, the Irish um, leader was the, the at the time uh, De Valera was the um, only foreign head of government um, outside the, the the axis to sign a book of condolence for Hitler. Um, you know, the, uh, and the um, well, they drew for anyone who's well, if, if you're British. an ordinary, if you're an ordinary Irish person who wants Ireland for the Irish, you know, yeah, um, you are now facing a situation where the people that you thought were the nationalists fighting for you, um, you know, are are selling your country out entirely because the, the Sinn Fein. Uh, are uh, entirely in favour of this replacement of the Irish population, uh, along with other major Irish parties. So, Including the allegedly uh, conservative Irish government, just like the allegedly conservative yeah. British government wants to replace the British people. Yeah, because um, nationalism doesn't suit um, the people who, with real power anymore. Folks, yeah. I want to start wrapping up because we've gone really late. Mike, what did we, what did we talk about that you wanted to talk about? Well, the the big presidential debate tomorrow night we didn't talk about. It might it might be the only one of the, the next year. The governential debate or something. <laughs> well, well, are you going to watch the it? two candidates, so. <laughs> What's that, Ed? I said they're going to be the two candidates, so I don't think it's just the governor's. Is that your prediction? I'll take that bet. I think it's going to be DeSantis. I don't know. I'm less confident about Newsom. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys are planning to, wa to watch it or not, but it, in some ways it's sort of amusing. I, I, I can tell you just, you know, being in, in insurance, I, I see a lot of problems for DeSantis down in, in Florida. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are really getting slammed down there with the premium hikes through through the roof, literally, pun intended. I think so. it's a high risk, high reward situation for DeSantis. Yeah. It's high risk because whenever you go up against a leftist like Newsom, who's right. unconstrained by actual facts, it's going to be really hard for him, for, for DeSantis to fend off all the lies that are coming at him. And in that sense, it's high risk yep. that he's going to look foolish. And then no, I think that's a great the debate. That's a great point. I think it is somewhat of an opportunity for him. But it's um, it's high reward because in the sense that 
if he's able to succeed and look strong in the face of that onslaught, I think that he has a chance to to really improve his skills. Yeah. But the, the question is how many people will really be paying any attention to it. So I'm not really sure about that. So, but we'll I might see. have to get the, the DVR warmed up for that one. By the way, real quick, somewhat of an amusing story broke today about a player on the Chicago Blackhawks. I don't know if you saw this, but apparently uh, the rumor is he slept with the mother of one of the young players on the team. I don't know if he's a rookie or what. And so it seems that he was released from the team after this incident. Now, it hasn't been verified, but that seems like it, what it is the story. Moms you know, need love too. Well, <laughs> here, here's the thing. If he, I wouldn't kick he, a hockey player out of my bed yeah. eating crackers. Well, I jokingly called him the mother pucker. <laughs> anyway. Oh, you set us up for that, Mike. <laughs> But here's here's my thing. If if he is being released because he slept with the mother of a player, I wonder if the same would be true if he slept with the father of the player. They throw anyway, a parade. That's my little two cents. Wow. I did not hear this about. story until now. Woo. It's fun. What what a mess. Okay. Megan. What did yes. we talk about that you wanted to talk about? I think we covered almost everything. I mean, I sent you guys that disturbing video. Uh, I think that's really what's been bothering me. And of course, being in New York, it's just shocking the amount of anti-Semitism I'm seeing every single day. My um, inbox is filled with incidences in my kid's school district of swastikas, um, just derogatory names for Jewish people written in hallways, bathroom stalls and library books. I just, I don't know if I was naive. I don't know if it's something that always existed. Um, I, I'm, I'm just so, I, I, I'm so deeply disturbed about all of this and I'm shocked and I'm shocked that it, they're going to go ahead at Hamas pro-Hamas people are going to be at the Christmas tree lighting, which we wouldn't have Christmas if somebody wasn't born in Israel over 2,000 years ago. So um, I guess I, I'm just so shocked at the anti-Semitism, but I'm also not shocked because I think Soros and Obama are heavily involved and the same players from Antifa are also showing up at these protests. So I don't know. I, I Megan, don't the, the anti-Semitism you say you're seeing that's not by minorities and not by Muslims? No, it's uh, I saw something on like a Forest Hills parents page and it was like um, he was going on about the posters that say missing with the kidnapping victims on them. And he was priding himself and ripping them down because they were litter and trash. And then he said that a typical, oh, God, I even hate to say it, typical um overweight Jewish nurse, um, he was saying that all Jewish women look like that, um, came and was trying to stop him and that she was just believing the propaganda that's being fed to her. Um, I, I just, I just, I, I don't get this. Yeah, I, I, we've definitely are going through a totally different situation 
with anti-Semites crawling out of the walls and having the guts to speak up more than they ever were, at least in normal areas, you know, not like where you may expect it deep south or something like that. Yeah. And it's, it's, no, it would never happen in the deep south. It, it It's the young, youngsters, too. That's the thing. College That's educated youngsters. That. In the most blue areas like Port Washington, New York, they are having just the most incidences of homo homophobic behavior, transphobic behavior, um, anti-Semitism, racism. Um, did I also say what is homophobia? Like, I mean, I, I'm unbelievable that the deepest blue, Port Washington, New York, that is the epicenter of all of this. And it seems the deeper blue you go, the more anti-Semitism, the more racism, the more bigotry. Why that is that counter. surprising? They, they're, you know, we talked about critical race theory earlier. The left is the party. <laughs> of yeah, you're right. Right, it's just coming out now, and it's. I'm they're just free. wondering: Are we at a, getting closer to a tipping point, which I never would have expected ten years ago, mm-hmm. where it's okay to be publicly anti-Semitic? It's okay to have. I think it is. You know, to shut I'm down. Scared the bridge, they shut I'm scared down the for Ed. I'm scared for you. You know, all of a sudden, the the thing in the high school, which again, it's not my neighborhood, but it's awful close. It's five miles away. It's it's kind of getting scary. It's not just in those neighborhoods anymore. It's everywhere. I'm I'm very I'm scared for you, Steve. I'm scared for you, Ed. I don't know everybody else's religious affiliation, but I'm 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 really worried. I'm worried about my administrative assistant who's Jewish. I'm, I I try to walk him outside every night. Um, I'm I'm scared. You know, I actually saw an article on um I can't remember on which thread I saw it, but they asked three different rabbis, "Is it okay if I fly an Israeli flag if I may be putting myself in danger?" And that question coming in America is pretty wild. We we don't have any kind of um anything outside of our house, even though I would like to. It's just. I'm I have an American flag outside of my house, but I I, 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 I worry about Steve. I don't mar- worry about Ed. The religion there is football, and I only worry about yeah, if, right. he, doesn't, if he doesn't root for Michigan. If he doesn't root for Michigan, then then his life, he's taking his life into his own hands. Join the militia um, out there, Ed. Join yep. that militia. <laughs> did Michigan do really well last week? Yes, they did. Actually, yep. watch that game thinking of Ed the whole time. Took out Ohio. I went to the Michigan game two weeks ago. My son is at Michigan State, not University of Michigan. Oh. But um, the, the that, good that, thing that, is, it's it's less leftist than University of Michigan. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> okay. Um, Daniel, anything on your mind? Uh, no. I, I'm. You know, that is one of the major stories at the moment, uh, uh, and I wish it wasn't. Uh, you know, but. It's in the UK as well. I've got Jewish friends here who uh, are saying that they think that the, the Jewish presence in the UK is finished and they're going to leave. Uh, and it, it's very, very sad. And, um, you know, our leaders, um, they say they they oppose these things and they say they support uh, Jewish groups, but they won't do anything about the hate if it comes from Muslims and they won't do anything about the hate if um, uh, it if it outnumbers them and will cause disruption on the streets if they oppose it. 
Um, and <laughs> they're cowards. But what do we do? How do we, how do we do better than what we're doing, Steve? I mean, I, we're, it's scary. It's scary in New York. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to read in the New York Post one day that no. you got mugged or because you're it, Jewish it, or something. It, it, I don't. It's scary for anybody who goes through New York these days. Yeah, yeah that's true. But no, we, it's, we, it's let, we let Marxists take control of education and this is the end result. That's the trouble. But what do we do now? How do we protect the Jewish people? Because no, I think they're coming after them as a whole. Jews are the large caliber the country are arming up. Although you can't do it in New York City, but all over the country, Jews are arming themselves. What will happen with that? I have no idea. Because remember, if you use a weapon to defend yourself or anyone else in this country, you get arrested and thrown in jail. So that's that's another story. Ed, I got to get you to clean up for us because we're late. Uh, I had two things, actually. One is uh, how to the Baskerville's dog that didn't bark story, and that is we're not hearing very much about Ukraine anymore, about the Ukraine war, about what's going on, about Russian offensives, about money for Ukraine. Uh, I won't say it's fully disappeared, but uh, it's almost like the people that were pushing that realize that they've milked that cow for as much as they can get, and they've moved on to something else. Well, they've moved on to anti-Israelism, I think. Well, in, in part, but uh, and maybe in, in whole, but uh, it just shows how insincere their their appeals were in the past. Drive by media, as Rush explained twenty years ago. What was that? Drive right, by. Rush explained twenty years ago. Drive by media. They they care and then they don't. The other story that I saw this week was uh, out of China. How uh, uh, a couple of things uh, there there were a couple of defaults by large property developers. We had talked about Evergrande on this show a couple of years ago and. Uh, I forget all the names, but uh, one of them was Country Garden. Um, there was another one, I forget the name, uh, but much larger than Evergrande. And they are facing defaults on U.S. denominated, on dollar denominated debt. Um, HSBC Bank, which I think is, uh, I think it's a British bank, but it's primarily exposed in Asia and China. Uh, is looking at about a $6.3 billion uh, billion euro write-down. Um, China is facing some big economic problems. And, uh, you know, it hasn't really fully broken yet, but um, it may be about to. And uh, just before the show, I'll tell you that I saw a story about how gas prices in the United States are tumbling and that I think it was 16 states. It's below $3 a gallon now. Um to me, that sounds like that sounds like there's a big economic slowdown worldwide, and uh, we'll see. That's I mean, exactly what it blocking. is. The OPEC has uh, started talking about uh, production cuts. Yeah. Keep the price up. Yeah, I mean they they can talk about production cuts, but they still have to service their debts, and they still have to deal with the fact of shrinking demand. Uh, if you if you're trying to you know if there's a smaller and smaller market. You're going to be more. You should be more aggressive about trying to get that market. Um, so we'll see if they're able to to cut prices and and restrict output because you know they have their palaces that they want to maintain and uh, they're not going to maintain them without selling oil. Okay. Those are my stories. With that, we're going to wrap up for the evening. Mike, you are tasked with uh, reporting on the debate next week. Please, thank you. 
Okay. We wish everybody a wonderful evening. Please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at Liberty Block. Yeah, we got to start reading some of those emails that we get every week. I really should, by the way. Please, <laughs> please remind me to. And we'll be back next week, regular time, hopefully with everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.